I'm Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. The Catholic ministry world is pretty small. And I say that not because I'm about to name drop anybody significant, but because I want to impress upon you this idea that a lot of people who travel and do ministry, whether they speak or they write books, they have podcasts, maybe you've seen them across social media. Well, we know each other, whether it's because we've done youth conferences in the summer with one another or our paths have crossed every couple of years at the National Catholic Youth Conference or we've endorsed each other's writings or we just know each other's families really well. There's a a familial quality to the Catholic ministry world that's actually really quite life-giving and and something that I've always been grateful for. And, And one of the people that I've really kind of been around since my earliest days in ministry, I mean, as a a young wepper snapper back in college, traveling and doing events from time to time, and then getting to speak at the National Catholic Youth Conference and then doing Steubenville Youth Conferences. And our paths continue to cross again and again to where we've become very good friends is the guy that we have on the show today, Chris Paget, a speaker, an author, a dad, an incredible guy who has devoted his life to sharing the faith in what I think is one of the most unique and dynamic ways which is by being his authentic self, goofy, silly, funny, really, really smart, and telling stories in such a compelling way that at one moment you're laughing and the next moment you're crying because he's brought you to a place of deep understanding. And how you tell stories and the way that you give a witness that is authentic and life-giving, well, spending any time with Chris, you get a masterclass in how that happens. You know, one of the things that I've always deeply admired about Chris and his wife, Linda, and their large Catholic family is the fact that they are radically themselves. They believe what they believe. They work hard at the things that they do. They share their faith without any reservation. And in my own life, in ministry, in my marriage as a parent, Chris and Linda have been good friends to my husband and I. And I was so excited to get to sit down and really chat with him about how we share the faith, and this is what we've been talking about all season, how do we share the faith in an authentic way by telling our story, by giving witness in a way that's moving to other people? Now, this conversation is happening as as part of our entire Ave Explores series on sharing the faith. You can find everything on that, all of the conversations we've been having, Facebook Live conversations and, and videos and more podcasts and great articles over at our website, AveMariaPress.com. Click at the top. There's a big banner. You can sign up for our emails. You can get all of the information that you want about everything we've done. We'd love it if you'd subscribe to this show, maybe even give it a rating and review, and really dig into the content that we've created about sharing the faith just for you. But for right now, we want you to sit back and enjoy this conversation with Chris Padgett about sharing the faith by telling our stories in authentic and life-giving ways. Well, Chris Padgett, welcome to Ave Explores. I know. This is so exciting. Thank you. Yeah. So I heard that when Aaron emailed you, you called her to say yes. You were so excited. I was so thrilled to hear that. (laughs) When Katie asks you to join her in something, there's no email response. It's going (laughs) to be like voice to voice. We're going to make sure this gets in the books. So no, I'm I'm pretty excited. I love what you're doing. And uh, it's an honor to be here. Well, I love you, Chris. I feel like I have to say, so a lot of the guests we grabbed for this podcast this season, I was like, I want to talk to people that do evangelization well, but like also evangelized me. I'm sure you know this, but I saw you speak at an NCYC when I was a teenager and nearly peed my pants laughing. It was in the comedy club that they used to do. So it wasn't even speaking. It was comedy. 
But I walked out of there thinking, I like the fact that I, I laughed. It was clean. I was captivated by the fact that you clearly loved Jesus. And so, I mean, I feel like I've grown up with you and now we're friends and we talk frequently. So tell us a little bit about who you are and how you came into the evangelization side of the world, which really should be the whole world. But tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm really blessed and thankful for my mother, who was a real source of encouragement and inspiration. She's the one who really brought me into the faith Mm. for all intents and purposes. And after the divorce of my parents, my mother really kind of tried to pave the way for me to learn how to pray and to open myself up to God's love. It wasn't something that was just informative. This was a really a relational context. I mean, I knew that we were a broken family. I didn't understand how much, but my mother demonstrated this is what you do when you're hurting. This is where you go when you need to be healed. That and my grandmother, my mother's mother, those two women really laid a foundation in me that showed me faith wasn't a once a week experience. That, I think, in a lot of ways, really helped me to make the faith my own over time because I recognized that I, too, was broken and I, too, needed to be healed. And so, ultimately, when I got to my teenage years, I realized I wanted to do something with my life that would be of benefit to others, but also was going to show a sense of gratitude to God for what he'd done in my life. So, even as a young man... I knew that in my heart, I wanted to, I don't know, I wanted to do something for him. And so I used to write these songs on a piano and, and nobody really heard them. <laughs> and then I, Linda, I started dating her and I started sharing with her these songs I had written. And uh, the next thing you know, I ended up doing a band and, and I realized that somehow or another, that what was inside of me wasn't made up and contrived, but what was inside of me was this real place of trying to come to grips with what it meant to be alive and what it meant to use my creativity to bless others. And it's a weird way to explain it. But at the end of the day, I think what I wanted was to to change people because I had been changed. Mm -hmm. And I knew that the change could be a blessing, even if it didn't feel that way at the beginning, you know, that Usually conversion can have some tension connected to it. Mm-hmm. So long and the short of it, who, who am I? Is simply this kid that grew up in a broken home and, and felt lonely and felt insecure. And I needed someone to kind of put me on the right track. And my mother and my grandmother did that, introduced me to Jesus. And I think I've been trying to spend the rest of my life introducing other people to Jesus because it's such a game changer. Yeah. There's a Pope Benedict quote that always pops into my head when people talk about their conversion stories or their reversion stories or whatever version of the story it might be of when you've met Jesus, you can't help but share him with other people because you've been changed completely. And I love that it was your mom and your grandmother. It was it was two women in your life that led you to the church that led you to an encounter with Christ. So you start writing music, Scarecrow and Tin Man of notorious fame. When when did it it become a okay, this is not just something that I want to do because it's good to do, but like I could, and I'm not going to say like make money from it. Cause it's not a, it's not a money maker, but like I could, this could be my life. Like this could be my life's work. This could be something that I do from a professional perspective and get really, really good at in articulating this. What was that phase of the story? 
Well, I'll usually tell people who are trying, they're discerning whether or not to do ministry kind of full time or keep doing their job. I, I usually say there'll there'll be a point where it's like a tipping point at some you know place in the journey. You're gonna <laughs> you're gonna like either get fired from one job or not. <laughs> and and that kind of happened to me where I was employed by this middle ground between the government and lower income neighborhoods to try and help them. All I wanted to do was to do ministry stuff. So unfortunately, I was spending a lot of my time when I should have been working, trying to get gigs. Mm -hmm. And I remember I got a call in by my boss to have a meeting, you know, the meeting, which in essence was I was going to be fired, but I decided to quit before I, I was fired. So I said something along the lines of, I don't think this job is really going to work out for me. And I think there was probably a collective sigh of relief because we all knew it wasn't working out. All I wanted to do really was to was to write music and share that music with others. And I had found a couple guys that were willing to help me along the way as well. See, this is what I know to be true about me is that I have a passion inside of me for something, let's say, and uh, I don't always know how to do it. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know how to to construct the... I don't know, skeletal format that enables me to go from point A to, to point Z. I only know how to do what I'm doing, you know, with that passion, with the excellence. And I felt like God brought me a couple of people who were really gifted in areas that I wasn't like engineering and recording and, and, and for all intents and purposes, making the music sound modern instead of like Simon and Garfunkel type remake. But all that to say the transition was just simply desperation. I now had no job. So I had to figure out how to make a living. I was married at that time. I had a couple of kids and I thought if I'm going to do this, it's, I have to do it now. Well, at that time, Linda also quit her job. She was teaching and she said, I don't want to be working. I want to be home with the babies. So I don't care what happens, but we're both going to pursue our dreams here. And uh, we were poor. So the truth was, you know, I had no money. I don't even know to this day, know how we made it uh, financially because we had a house and we had a vehicle and we had kids. There were people that left groceries on our doorsteps. We had, I had to split the money three ways, you know, so I don't, and we were making nothing financially. I remember we got 300 bucks from a Baptist church back in the late nineties. And Brad had said something along the lines of mark my words, this is the most money we'll ever see. And it was so funny how like this was the big deal. We took that money and we ended up buying a PA so that we could bring our own sound system. I mean, it just was, there's no rhyme and reason for why we did what we did, except this kind of compulsion to share the gifts and talents that we had and to move forward. So that's what we did. And we had a lot of kind of miraculous successes that enabled us to keep doing it. And then I found over time that I was really pretty good at booking gigs. And that was a real gift to the band. And we were living off of our art, so to speak, when a lot of people who had major signed record deals and radio airplay were not. Mm. People who were going out doing touring, they would come home and have to work a part-time job. Our job was booking gigs, recording music, and trying to find sponsorships. And that's how we lived. I used to rip pages out of the phone books just to call venues to see if they would let me come in. And my mentality was, there is a place for us to do ministry at their church. They just don't know it yet. Mm -hmm. 
So we hustled. Yeah. Well, I love that idea of like evangelization is worth the hustle sometimes. And then the Lord will open the doors when he wants you to walk through them. Our mutual friend, Mike Patan, used to joke with me that the community calls you forward. And I love your part of the story is sometimes you have to call the community to say, hey, you you need this story. Like you need this moment. You travel and speak still pretty frequently. Let's like forget the COVID year. Right. And the weirdness that that provided for all of us in this world. What are some of the things that you see when you get to travel, when you get to do this, when you get to walk into venues, when you go to parishes, youth conferences, parish missions, marriage events? What do you find hooks people in? What is it that draws them to a guy with a guitar and a microphone and that brings them the gospel? What are you seeing there? Well, you know, this is a really multifaceted, you know, answered question. I mean, if we're talking about how do we get people to show up to an event. I think a lot of that comes from the pastor down. If he's pitching hard for the event, then more people show up. But as a general rule, nobody looks at my picture and says, I can't wait to go stare at him for an hour. (laughs) I mean, really, there are many Chris's out there in Catholic ministry, and I am not the good looking one, apparently. So usually comedy and humor storytelling for me is That's the difference maker. So I know that people aren't going to be just captivated with my looks. That's okay. I've come to grips with that at my age. I also know that I'm shaped like a pear and I'm not going to be necessarily the most, you know, metabolism driven body that's going to be out there. But not CrossFit. Correct. I'm not CrossFitting anything except for, you know, anyway, the long and the short (laughs) of it is, is that humor for me is the only way I even paid attention when I was a kid to anything anybody was saying from a pulpit. So what I realized is that in a lot of ways, when I'm doing my talks, especially to young people, I'm speaking to that little Chris Paget that was so easily distracted. And for that matter, now all of these little Chris Pagets have grown up in our middle-aged adults. So I'm still speaking to that easily distracted adult. You know, back in the old days when I was doing, when I first started doing speaking, this is a true story. I don't, I don't tell this much, but there was a funny moment in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where Chris Kreslins was the youth minister. He invited me to come to his parish. I did this talk and the pastor afterwards, he and I were talking and he said to me, he goes, this is verbatim. He says, uh, you know, I listened to your talk. I didn't know where the hell you were going. Like you just, it's like you kept going in circles. And I thought like, what is happening? He goes, but then at the end you landed it. Like it, it all clicked together. He goes, I still don't know what happened. And uh, (laughs) well, I ran into this priest decade or two later. And I said to him, father, are you going to come to my talk? And he's like, literally he says, once was enough. (laughs) I guess I'm telling that story because back in the old days, you know, the way I approached storytelling was it was almost like this. I'm telling a story, but then I'm going to circle around. I'm going to come at it from a bunch of different perspectives because, see, each different perspective is going to grab a different kid Mm -hmm. or a different adult. And so I keep moving, keep moving until we come to that bullseye and then, bam, everybody is with me. And I can drive home the main point, which is that you need Jesus and Jesus wants to be with you. That's the whole meaning behind my madness is how do I get everybody in that audience 
to hone in so that we can dive into a deep embrace with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Well, back then, this was a foreign concept in how to do a presentation. But now it's so normal because people's attention spans are so small. So I'm doing it's like a guerrilla warfare, you know, in terms of like a bam in and out, in and out. And to me, you know, I feel like it's ripe now for my mm-hmm. my presentation. The past 30 years or whatever has all been the introduction because now, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm ready to go deep, even deeper. So, yeah, long and the short of it is I love what I do and I love using humor. And I think that that's the draw mm-hmm. more times than not. I think people are going to come, they're going to be entertained, but then they're going to feel something. And then that's the reason that they go out and want other people to come back for the next night. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Chris. If you are enjoying all of these conversations that we're having about sharing the faith, then you'll really enjoy who our episode sponsor is. This episode has been brought to you by Hallow, the number one Catholic app for prayer, meditation, music, and more. It's an amazing resource for any Christian that's looking to dive deeper into their prayer life to find more peace, ultimately grow closer to God. It features so many incredible, awesome things. And and I say that as somebody who uses Hallow every day, you've got daily rosaries, Lexio Divina, examines, playlists for calm and humility, minute meditations for brief moments with God throughout your day, Bible stories read by some of your favorite Catholic speakers like Father Mike Schmitz, Jonathan Rumi, Dr. Scott Hahn, yours truly. Now, don't just take my word for it. One of the Hallow users left this awesome review. This app has been an answer for my weary soul. This is where my soul is finding peace for the very first time. Now, I can speak from personal experience. I travel quite a bit, and Hallow is usually in my ears when I'm walking through an airport. There's nothing like listening to the rosary while waiting in a TSA pre-check line. So let me just say, if you want to deepen your relationship with God, with one of Hallow's more than 3,000 audio-guided prayers and meditations, go download Hallow at hallow.com slash Ave Explorers. We have a link down in the show notes and get to using the number one Catholic app. All right, we're going to get back to this conversation with Chris. I hope you stick around. There's a whole lot more coming. I mean, evangelization in a nutshell, by definition, is the sharing of this gospel truth. The way that we share it, the methods of madness are so varied. I mean, everybody kind of has to find their I can't be you. And the days that I have tried to be as funny as you, it falls flat, right? Like everybody <laughs> has to find their niche when it comes to this is how I'm going to present the gospel. Why do you think people's attention spans just kind of pivoting? You've raised nine kids, 10 kids. How many kids do you have? I don't know. I think it's <laughs> There's a bunch. You have a bunch of kids. Yeah. You get to travel and see young people in audiences. You get to spend time with them. You do the marriage stuff. You do the mission stuff. Why do you think attention spans specifically for the gospel are getting shorter? I mean, diagnose the problem for us. And obviously, like humor and storytelling can help be an antidote to some of that sickness of not wanting to care about it. But why, I guess, maybe is evangelization needed now more than ever when it comes to actually giving this authentic witness? Right. Well, we're certainly in a very secular and cynical world right now. It's extremely divided. So there are a number of reasons why people's attentions are easily distracted. First, of course, we're trained to be easily distracted just by social media platforms alone. Like it's a 
quick scroll. We're flying past, uh, you know, what for many people was like this gut-wrenching, meaningful moment that they want to share with you. And we slide past it. No big deal. Sometimes I have to remind myself, like, slow down and read that longer post. Look at it. What's the person really trying to say there? But we're almost conditioned to just, you know, find something that's a headline. We're like Mm -hmm. more of a headline populist than we are a content. So we're reading the bold type rather than the actual fine print. So another reason, though, that people are easily distracted is there's just so much fluff. Nobody's being authentic. Like we are, again, some of this could easily be blamed on, you know, a social media approach. We want people to see us how we want them to see us. So we don't want people to see the authentic self. That is the reality of what's happening here. We would rather something be so milk toast and easily palatable that we don't have to think anymore. Hmm. The other problem is that, and so this kind of is a little bit of another extreme here, is that we like extremes. So it's either that palatable, bland, presentation that is almost like this universally, you know, not going to make a difference. Or we want something so divisive and extreme that, you know, we can hang our hat on that's the camp I'm with. Mm -hmm. So back when I was younger, it was not uncommon for people from political standpoints to have differing opinions and still have a conversation. You know, there's all these old stories about great, you know, political leaders who are always at odds with each other on the floor. And then they would go out and share a drink and talk. And that was just real friendship. But we have animosity and an antagonism that is so prevalent that lines are drawn in the sand where nobody can have conversations. So again, you're back to why are people not paying attention? Because they're not speaking their party platform. We've done this, unfortunately, even a religion now. So we're fighting with each other, the tradies and the non-tradies. And we've got you know, the answer to everything is going to be the Latin mass or like, the, like, I can't believe you do the Latin mass. You must obviously have zero interest in reaching the loss. So it's like these extremes. Nobody can have a conversation because we're dying on our sword. And at the end of the day, as a convert uh, who came into the church Easter of 1999, part of me wants to say, look, I've walked in the fruit of division you know, and the Protestant church with their thousands and thousands of denominations and expressions and variables, you know, there's a lot of beauty out there. There's no doubt about it, but that's not why I became Catholic. I became Catholic because of this authority that the Catholic church offers when it comes to faith and morals. Why are we easily distracted? Because there's not a lot of substance right now. But this is the other part. And this is what's the big. See, this is the thing. Nothing's as black and white as we want it to be, but nothing's as complex as we wish it were. And the truth is simple. God loves us just the way we are, period, period. And he can speak out of a donkey. I swear to you, he can speak out of out of someone like you and me, but he can also speak out of someone who's highly educated. Like at the end of the day, we're more frustrated because. People are not doing Christianity the way that we want them to do it. Mm -hmm. But at the end, like, I just feel like it's not about a particular structure and format. It's a relationship with a person. Mm -hmm. This is my conviction that at, at all points, people want to be seen and loved and heard. And we're not seeing and we're not loving people and we're not hearing people because they don't fall into our 
mm-hmm. understanding of what they're supposed to be doing. And my conviction is that we should be loving people, whether they say or do what we want them to say or do. That's what Christianity is about, presenting God's love to all people, period. And that's evangelization, period. I mean, it's not always a formal parish mission or event or video talk or podcast. Like a lot of times it's, I have a conviction about Jesus that I'm going to share in a way that I know is true. And sometimes we only feel like we can share it in the milk toast way, like you said, or the extreme, when in reality, my authentic witness as myself, the pictures of my kids, the conversation with a friend, like that should be the way that I show that Jesus has changed my life. Right. I'd like to almost say it's a ministry of being. Yeah. We are under this weird idea that ministry is me saying and presenting a a particular idea, but ministry is just me being me. This is why really forever now I have intentionally tried to use social media as a platform of vulnerability. So Mm -hmm. it's the full gamut of who we are. It's not an idealized picture or an idealized world. It's the mess. It's the good day, the bad day. The it's the frustrated comment that I'll I might put up. I don't play appropriately on social media. What I mean by that is like I I just am convicted to be as real as I can be. But even then, you know, I'm sure that I hold back. Mm. Hey, you know, here's another thing. I just want to to I process as I talk. So when I'm talking, I'm processing out ideas. So it's not always a perfectly presented response. So one of the things I was thinking about is that this pursuit of the perfect way to say something, people want to have almost like a bumper sticker presentation of the gospel. But most of the time when I meet people, they're desperate for something real in their life. Is God real when my checkbook's not working? Is God Mm -hmm. real when someone I love is dying? Is God real when my kid is struggling, you know, with depression is where is God right now? And my husband's leaving me. Like, in other words, what I've found is that an idealized version of Christianity doesn't work for real life. Mm. And I think that we would rather an idealized version of Christianity be presented all the time. And so what happens a lot of times I see people who are so like, this is the truth. This is the truth. This is the truth. And I want to say, yes, okay, great. That's the truth. But St. Paul will say, if I speak the truth without love, I'm a resounding gong and a clanging symbol. Like, so somehow or another, that truth, that idealized message has to meet a real person, a real life, a real need. And we don't compromise the truth, but there has to be something genuine and loving that meets the two. And I think that genuine loving encounter is you as a person, you as a person. So over the years, you know, we've been in similar circles. Whenever I see a speaker get up to do something and they give a perfect presentation, it doesn't work for me because Mm -hmm. there's nothing real. So at the end, I, I sure give me the great theology if you want, but what's real there? Where is this hitting your life? That draws people, I think. So you can only for a while play in the pool of superficial, you know, presentations. 
But at some point, there has to be something that's going to ground you to reality. Anyway, uh, that's me babbling. But yeah. no, I, well, that's so. This is what I love about you, Chris. So, so frequently, people will see a speaker for like thirty minutes on a talk or stage, like at a Steubenville conference where you're hosting, and they get, you know, you get like a cookie cutter. Ver- you don't do this, but like you get a cookie cutter version of a speaker or like this one story or that one single post. And we don't see like there's a there's some messiness there. There's some you know, as your phrase, it's okay to not be okay. The the whole story that actually draws somebody in, the parts of like the stories of the saints, like the parts of the stories of the saints that I care about the most are when they failed, or like when Saint Faustina got turned away four different convents, or when you know Blessed Carlo had this crisis of faith because the internet crashed one day and like he thought he lost all of his website, like. Like those real authentic moments that show somebody that God is still present in the midst of that mess. You've shared so beautifully. There's so much good stuff here that I think people are going to walk away from it and think, okay, like I can do this because all I have to be is myself. What is your single best piece of advice? Like the nugget, somebody bumps into you in the elevator at a Steubenville conference and says like, I want to be able to share my faith more, not necessarily like with a microphone and a formal capacity, but like, I just, I want to be somebody who gives witness to Jesus and authentically in real ways. It's kind of almost maybe a cliched phrase, but it's being overdoing. So the more that you be, the more that you can do. In other words, if you let Jesus love you where you are in your mess, in your struggle, then you will more easily be available to others around you. And then if for some reason you find yourself on a stage, that should be the format as well. Mm-hmm. Like I always feel like it takes me all year long to prepare a Steubenville talk, if you will. It's my entire year of what has God taught me and where am I at? It's, so it's me being me. And if I've let Jesus love me that year, then I have something to mm-hmm. say. And this is the reality of evangelization. If you think back on your life, who has made an impact in your life? It usually isn't a sermon that somebody <laughs> shared, right. but it's someone who's, who sat with you and loved you in a crisis or was present with you as you tried to process through an idea or offered you advice or had a hard talk with you when you were you know, derailed. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we have to earn, this is a strong conviction for me. We have to earn the right to evangelize as a general rule. There's always going to be that moment where you could come up to somebody and you have something to share, but 99% of the time, it's not you with a bullhorn on a corner that is an effective form of evangelization or that you're leaving a track in a bathroom stall, like, or that you're, you know, you're coming up and telling someone that they're horribly, you know, in sin and they need to get their acts straight. <laughs> like, I think we have embodied like, I don't know, the fire and brimstone model to evangelization so much that it's a little bit terrifying to most people. But evangelization is, it can be quiet and it can be comforting and it can be subtle. And to be honest, that might be more of an impact. This is an evangelistic moment that happened to me. Two examples, very, very profound in my life. I was having a moment of crisis in my faith when I was in college. And the crisis was this, I am so sinful and so inclined to wrecking myself 
and I've tried so hard to live for you, Jesus, but I can't like that. I, in the middle of the night, cried out to God on a basketball court by myself, just standing there shooting baskets and thinking and praying. And I just said, God, I cannot make you love me. Like I can't, I will never fix myself. Like I can't be good enough. Like, and if you won't love me, I'm forever lost because I'll never be good enough. And God brought into my life one of the most awkward human beings on the planet who just brought a simple message. And that was that God loved me and it changed me. That was, Mm. and it's still changing me. I'm still going back to that moment of letting God love me. He will never realize how much he changed my life, but he did. Mm-hmm. The other example was when I had I had just finished hosting the Stubbermill Conference in Louisiana. And unbeknownst to me, I was in congestive heart failure. I was coughing up blood mm-hmm. and I couldn't walk more than a few feet. I remember the doctor at the Stubbermill Conference or whoever the person was said, I think you're only breathing with one lung right now. And I think you need to go to the hospital. I thought, there's no way I'm going to the hospital in Louisiana without any of my family around. I'll just try to get home. I could barely walk to the car to be driven to the airport. Chris Frank helped me put my bag in the car. I got to the airport. I had 10 minutes to make it from the furthest gate in Charlotte to the other furthest gate. And I couldn't walk without stopping every couple of minutes. I was, it just was a complete cluster. By the time I got onto the plane, which by the way, was about to close up, but probably because of my status, they left it open a little bit longer. I got on, I literally felt like I was dying. I could barely get into my seat. And this little African-American lady was sitting next to me. I'm in first class. And uh, everybody knew there was something not right with me because there was a lot of trepidation and a little hesitancy in even how to communicate with me. We got on the plane and this little old lady looked over at me. And at some point she just asked, can I pray for you? Mm. And I, I, and I could, could not even speak hardly. And I said, yes, please pray, please pray for me. And she prayed out loud in tongues in first class. Wow. I have no idea what she said, (laughs) but I think she saved my life that day. Mm. I got off the plane. My wife said, we're going immediately to the hospital. When I got to the hospital, I said to the doctor, I think that I was just going to go home and try to get a little rest because I hadn't slept in three days. He said, if you would have gone home and gone to sleep, you would have drowned in your blood. You would have died. Mm. You know, evangelization is simply, can I pray for you? Mm. And you can you can say to me, but Chris, you were already evangelized, but it's an ongoing conversion. I am always needing Jesus in my life. I am always needing to be invited to say yes more and more. And I think that Mm. for a lot of us, we're just so obsessed with the perfect doctrine, the perfect presentation. And yes, we are given this great gift of doctrinal excellence in our Catholic faith. But at the end of the day, there has to be something about us that is salt and light 
that people would want to invite into their world and change them. And it could be desperation or it could be struggle or a sin, but the opportunity that we have to be gold or frankincense or myrrh, something beautiful, something good, something true. This is what it's all about. Amen. You know, amen. You have a podcast, right, Chris? Where can people follow you and and keep hearing your wisdom and your witness? Here's what I know. I don't know (laughs) where my podcast is. I think that I think we have something for the Center for Holy Marriage. That's yes. what our big push is. So tell, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Tell us about the Center for Holy okay, Marriage. Okay. So we, Linda and I have been doing all the pre cana retreats for Syracuse, New York for years and years and years. And now we're, we've been doing them for Newark, New Jersey for quite a long time, about a year-ish. And then internationally doing a lot of marriage and family stuff. I still do tons of youth stuff and I always will. But I think our huge focus has been on this ministry, the Center for Holy Marriage, because what we wanted to do is to create a platform where people could come and just do tons of video courses that would help them wherever they are in their journey. Mm -hmm. So if you go to chrisandlindapaget.com, that's going to take you to ultimately the Center for Holy Marriage. You could type in sanctifyyourmarriage.com. That takes you to a free course, mm. which also is at kristenlindapage.com. Uh, this is the problem with me. I don't know all of the proper verbiage, but I think kristenlindapage.com takes you to the Center for Holy Marriage. You click on the, I want to sanctify my marriage. That takes you to a free course that anybody can jump on and watch at your leisure. And ultimately, it's just to help couples. And you say, well, I'm getting married. Will it help me? Of course, it will help you. Are you crazy? Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to be a priest. Will it help me? Of course it will. You're going to be ministering to married people. I mean, this is the deal is at the end of the day, we all come from basically a marriage in some form and fashion, and we're all ending up going towards a marriage, whether it's religious life or whether it's being married in the sacrament or whether it's ultimately being invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. It's all about a marriage, people. So that's been our focus. And, you know, I do the Twitter and the Instagram and the Facebook and all that, but what are your handles? Where can we follow you there? Oh, gosh, Katie, you're so much more tech savvy than me. But I think, I think it's that, it's at Chris M. Paget. I'm pretty sure. I think that's Twitter, right? That's tw- I think that's Twitter. We'll link it all in the show notes. People will be yeah. able to find you after this. Don't worry. I, I think Twitter is a dumpster fire. Oh, absolutely. As a general, as a general I rule. <laughs> I, can, uh, I just literally go on like a couple of times a day and I'm thinking, well, th- this is where the next civil war begins is here. Probably. Like, it's so <laughs> insane. <laughs> Just like, come on. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Chris and Paget, whatever. We'll, yeah. we'll link it all. Thank you for taking the time, my friend. I hope our paths cross sooner rather than later in the ministry world. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. All right. God bless you. Thanks, sister. You know, one of the things Chris talked about when explaining what it's like to really share your stories was how joy is at the root of it. You know, and, and one of the, the underlying themes of a lot of our conversations here this season about sharing the faith, uh, strangely enough, and none of this is planned as we put together these episodes, as we run these interviews, is that joy is at the root of a lot of what we do when it comes to sharing the faith. And we, we just did a, an Instagram live conversation with Father Joe Krupp. He's a priest up in Michigan. And, and he was talking about this, this attitude of being ridiculously joyful, being unashamed of the joy of the gospel. And Chris, he really embodies that in the work that he does and his writing and his social media presence and the talks that he gives. I, I really would love it if you'd go give him a follow on social media. 
But I, I think that idea of we share the faith because we have been transformed by the joy of the Lord. And so then we want to share that with everybody that we meet. Well, there's something really profound and beautiful about that. We've been digging into that all season long. If you rate and review this podcast, you can share that with other people. You can subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcast, wherever you're listening right now. You can also sign up for our weekly emails over at AveMariaPress.com. Right up at the top, there's a banner. Click on it. You can sign up to get all of the content that we've created for this season, all of our other seasons, and our upcoming Advent series, where we will be digging into Father John Burns' new Advent guided meditation journal, Adore. It is so good. You can grab your copy. If you use code AEXADVENT, you can actually get a discount on the book. And you can join us as we dig into that starting during the four weeks of Advent. You're definitely not going to want to miss it. We've got another excellent podcast coming up later this week. So we hope you stick around for that conversation. But as always, we're so grateful that you tuned in this week to Ave Explores. We'll be back soon with a whole lot more. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.